Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. John 1:14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you, Scott and Wendy. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Good. Excellent, Kathy. I love that you guys are here. It's kind of a separate section over here. I like to keep you close, keep an eye on you. All the blessings? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. Sometimes when I get excited, it's like uh, SeaWorld. You're in the kind of splash zone, so be careful. So it's Advent, week one. Although weather-wise, as far as I'm concerned, this feels about as unlike Advent as I can imagine. But it's just kind of trippy to me still. It's only my, I guess, my fourth Christmas, third Christmas here. Getting used to it, though. I'm not complaining. It's good. My toes feel warmer than they ever did at this time of year. You know, but we, uh, you know, we live according to all kinds of calendars, right? We have schedules. And our lives are often arranged around dates and times. Um, like the work week, you know, living for the weekend or for payday. Uh, around school holidays, if you've got kids, around semesters, and then around national holidays and celebrations. It's all very somewhat predictable in many ways. If you look at a calendar, most of our calendars look sort of the same. And, and it does determine in a lot of ways what we prioritize and what we do with our time, where we go. Uh, but we are followers of Jesus. Um, most many of us, I think, are at least interested in the potential of following Jesus and doing our best to do that right now. So we are kind of a particular people. Uh, in all of the world, those who seek to follow Jesus are, are living according to a different kingdom. And we've talked about this a lot. Uh, and so our lives as disciples, as followers of Jesus, uh, are to be lived according to different priorities and rhythms. And it's the priorities and the rhythms of the kingdom of God as he calls us to be human in this world, to be renewed as human beings in a new way. 
And so there's actually something called the church calendar. Any, any of you guys familiar with the church calendar? Maybe those of you who are raised in like Lutheran churches or Episcopal or perhaps Catholic, there's a, there are church calendars. There's a few different kinds, but it really is a way to reorganize life according to the story of God. The, from creation to fall to redemption uh, to the expectation of the renewal of all things. This is a way of ordering our lives according to a different system. Uh, and it could be as simple as just the basic rhythms of the week. A Sunday, we call the Lord's Day to worship and celebrate the resurrection every first day of the week. Uh, and that's what we're doing today. It can take part of a Sabbath rest, having an intentional time where you say, today is a day of rest where I will celebrate the life I've been given and worship God and celebrate with my friends and my family. It can be about Lent, right? Lent is the time leading up to Easter. Um, and then Easter itself, Holy Week, where we celebrate here the Thursday and the Friday and the Saturday and the Sunday because we think it's a good idea to go through the whole story of that week, not just to get to saying He is risen without experiencing the darkness of Friday and the apparent hopelessness of Saturday before we come to the joy of Sunday. So we are in Advent. And, and Advent, the word is a Latin word, and it means uh, a coming or arrival, a stepping in. We said this morning, Scott and Charmaine, thanks you guys for being here and not only coming for Thanksgiving, but leading us in worship today. Where are Scott and Charmaine? Love you guys. Appreciate it. They, they, this song here, I'm to worship, light of the world, you step down into darkness. He came. This is what Advent means. We are remembering and celebrating the birth of Jesus, his arrival into our world that set in motion the eventual redemption of all that has been subjected to captivity, all that is the healing of all that is sick and broken in this world. And this is what initiated it, that God came in the flesh. We're taking a look this Advent season at what it means that God became fully human in the person of Jesus Christ while still remaining fully God became fully human. And it's in the text that Scott and Wendy kindly read for us this morning. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He moved into their neighborhood and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what does it mean to be human? If we say that in Christ, God took on human flesh and became 100% human, what does that mean? There are many ways that people try to discover or, or communicate what it might mean to be human. But I think it, I'm going to put it this way, I think it comes down to two components. There's physical and there's spiritual. And interestingly enough, I think it's amazing. In this little passage in, in John, which you have in your booklet, it has both of these elements the Word became flesh, physical, physical, living, just like us. He says, we have seen Him. And then later on, John writes a small letter to some churches, and he says this, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw Him with our own eyes and touched Him with our own hands. He is the Word of life. The one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him physical. But there's also spiritual. Being a human being, there's a spiritual component. That's the saddest thing about our culture sometimes when we diminish or deny 
the spiritual nature of our human condition. He talks about the Word, which is God's communication. We have seen the Son from the Father, the glory full of grace and truth. So let's think about what it means to be human in the physical sense. How many bones do you have? Any idea? Huh? So between 206 and 213 bones. I don't know why there's a discrepancy there. When you're a baby, you have more because they've not yet fused together, so they're counted as different. But between 206 and 213 bones, a human being, we have 600 muscles. We have over 7 trillion nerves. 7 trillion nerves. What else physical? Well, the senses, right? Touch, sight, smell, hearing, taste. There's so much we have in common. But yes, also, it's amazing. We're so unique and individual. You know about fingerprints, right? That we, we, we're unique in that. But also, our toe print is the same. I wish they toe printed people more often. That would be funnier. The color and the pattern of your iris and your retina. Your ear has a unique shape. Huh? Your teeth, yes, exactly. Dental records, your lips are different. Your lip print is different than everyone else's. Your tongue has a different print and texture than everyone else's. And your voice, they say now, is identifiable. You're unique. So physical, we are physical being. Being human means I can do this <laughs> in front of you. I don't care, man. I'm singing and I'm in a store. Spirit, well, it's spiritual. Being human also means to be a, spirit, a person who has, has a spiritual component and capacities in relationship with God and with others. And the ideal condition, we are told, is to have a human existence that is in communion with both God and with other people. From the beginning, this has been the story of God and people. We are made in God's image. We bear some fingerprint of God and who we are. We are his image bearers. And God said at the beginning, it's not good for human beings to be alone. We need one another. Whether we realize it or not, we need both this vertical and this horizontal relationships in the spiritual sense, this communion. The things that we find that we can't quite put words to, the way you feel about your kids or the joy that you sometimes experience that wells up in you, you can't quite describe when you see a person you haven't seen for a long time or perhaps you're worshiping and something just captivates you. This is the spiritual component of what it means to be human. It is so essential. But here's the thing. Being human is very, very difficult, isn't it? Anyone disagree with me that being human is quite difficult? You know, the phrase, the human condition, is rarely mentioned in a positive context. It's usually kind of challenging. You know, the human condition. And, and what makes it so difficult to be a human is our humanity itself. And I think it's these same two elements that make being a human difficult and painful and often a struggle. Physical first. Think about physical. I'm sure there are a few here this morning who, when I mentioned how many bones you have, how many muscles you have, and particularly how many nerves you have, um, could identify immediately some of them individually by how they're feeling this morning. They made themselves known to you, right? Oh, yeah, I got bones. I got muscles. I definitely got nerves. I'm on my last one, by the way. I have the seven trillion, whatever it was. Physical. You know, I went to Joshua Tree for Thanksgiving with my family this week. And I discovered the physical limitations of being 52 because there's all these boulders in Joshua Tree. 
And the kid in me was like, woo, I'm going to run to the top. And then the 52-year-old part of me, which is my physical body, said, no, you're not. So my son went up to the top. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you can see just how limited I am in physicality as you discover how hard it was for me to walk backwards while videoing. I'll just say that. You know, unlike most of the animal kingdom, physically, we are born helpless. And we remain in that condition for a dangerously long time. Little babies. And we have senses. And that makes being a human hard too, doesn't it? You know, touch. The same nerve endings that bring us pleasure also open us up to the likelihood of pain. And would we be willing to give up the potential of pleasure in order to, for a change so we never feel pain? Our physical selves crave comfort in a hard world. And our bodies are breaking down. We are all dying. I heard someone once say, if you doubt that you're dying, try going without a shower for a month. You know, where our cells are sloughing off. It's depressing, isn't it? The good news is coming, okay? A tiny virus can bring the world to its knees. We are vulnerable. We are physical. You know, even being individual brings its own challenges as a human being because it's in many ways, if you think about it, in my individuality, I'm somewhat isolated from the rest of the world. And this leads to the spiritual dilemma. Here's the spiritual problem of the human condition is that we are meant to be enjoying full communion, unashamed, unafraid with God and with other people. And that is not our experience. And it causes us so much pain. We're constantly turning our eyes toward idols, worshiping other things, putting our trust in them, only to find them failing us time after time after time. And it causes so much conflict. We can't truly walk in another person's shoes. We can't see them as we should see them or know them or understand their motivations. And it leads to so much pain. We don't see others. We judge them. We frequently misjudge them or mischaracterize them. We are so selfish so often. And it's often, sadly, the ones that we, we love the most, that we hurt the most. And then at the end of the day, everything and everyone that you ever loved will leave you or you will leave it. And this hurts. This hurts. Why does it hurt? Well, there's a simple little three-letter word that we don't talk about perhaps much today, but it's called sin. And it is this broken nature in this human condition that we have that has caused this separation and this death that we experience daily. And one day we will experience somewhat, perhaps finally, when our mortal body fails us. And this is what makes it so Difficult to be human. And this Advent, this is what we are saying. We say, okay, that's true. But Jesus, the Word, has come to us in the flesh and was and always will be the only complete answer to the problem of sin. And not just any sin, but human sin. He came in the flesh to defeat that which stands against us. Out of all of creation, only our race carries culpability for sin. God doesn't judge a leopard for eating an antelope. But we are different. We are made in his image and capable of such sublime, wonderful things and such deep wickedness to others and to ourselves. And, and for God to, to look at this, he has a couple of choices. But, 
praise God, he has given us a way. And Jesus was fully human. Jesus, we're telling ourselves this season, was fully human. And maybe we don't think about that. I think we do pretty well with thinking that Jesus is God, right? That's maybe an easier step. But to think about Jesus as being fully human almost feels a little irreverent if you really think about it. But he became flesh in the same ways that we are. Think about this. Jesus, physical. Jesus sensed the same as us. He touched. Jesus touched. He embraces his friends. He touches those whom he healed. He feels pain at the hands of those who beat him and crucified him. Sight. Jesus opened his eyes and saw. He sees the sun and the trees of all and all of creation, all that he made and declared as good. He sees. He sees the crowd of crowds of people crushing around him from all directions. He sees the desperate masses of people in their poverty and their lostness. Smell. He had a sense of smell. You ever think about that? Jesus smells the odors of the kitchen and the street. The smell of his companions on the road, unwashed for some days now. The rotting stench of poverty and the sweet scent of incense in the temple and expensive oils in the homes of wealthy uh, leaders. Lullabies from his mother. He hears. He hears when he was a baby. He hears the anguish wailing of those who suffer from sickness and demonic possession or grief. He hears the promises of his closest friends who soon will abandon him and leave him alone. Taste. He tasted the bread and wine of Passover. He tasted the meals shared with friends. And he tasted the blood in his mouth when he was beaten. And he tasted the bitter drink given to him on the cross. Jesus was built the same as us, fully human in all of these ways. And the same and yet unique. Jesus had fingerprints that were unique and toe prints. I think that's kind of cool because Jesus was unique not only in his form as a human being, but also in his function. There's no other human like Jesus. And I can, just as an aside right now, I think that's pretty cool for us as well because there's no other human like you in form, but also in function. There is a purpose in this kingdom for you just as you are uniquely made in his image. What about spiritual for Jesus? What made it so painful, perhaps, for Jesus to be fully human in the spiritual realm? You think this might be easy for him since he is God, but he fully experienced all the range of human experience as a spiritually uh, connected human being. Betrayal. He was abandoned by everyone whom he loved and whom he called to support him. You can read it in the Gospels. And even worse, he experienced the full human range of what it means to have, have some problems with faith in God. He was the faithful one seeking to follow his father. But can you believe it says that really scripture tells that he had disappointment with God, it almost seems. In Matthew 26, Jesus says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And he says to his friends, stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. That sounds very human. If there be any other way, please, do I have to do this? 
and disconnection from God when on the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fully human. Just like us. So how did this come about? That the word became flesh. That God stepped into our mess, into our darkness and found solidarity with us in our full humanity. Well, the Advent story, you know, we heard it today, and there's only five little words. If you've got your booklet, you can underline this if you have a pen. It's in the latter part of the, the second scripture there, and it says, She gave birth to a son. She gave birth to a son. Five little words. You know, within that short phrase is the most profound truth, the greatest mystery, the most wonderful good news, and the strongest of hope. Yet it is also so full of human experience. She, Mary, gave birth. Anyone who's given birth knows what that is like. To a son. It is such a human story. Just think about it. The passage that uh, Scott and Wendy read for us talked about the, the dilemma that Joseph, Joseph was in where she is betrothed to him and she's a young girl and now she's pregnant. I don't think we really care so much about that these days. And in many ways, that's not a bad thing because the shame that is heaped on young girls when they get pregnant and especially in the church over time has been really, really Difficult and painful and bad, but in that time, that was literally a reason to be executed by your community. So she is an adulteress. I was reading a book recently about just how painful this moment is for them that the Lord Himself comes in this context that is so shameful. And, and what the person said, which I'd never thought of before, was you know, the whole no room at the inn thing, right? Why were they in Bethlehem? They were in Bethlehem because the, em the Roman emperor had made a decree that every single person must return to the house of, of their, the town of their origin, their place, their birth. Just think about it. Joseph in Bethlehem was in the same town as many of his relatives, his flesh and blood, and yet there is no place for her to go to give birth to her baby. That makes me think that perhaps a scandal of her condition has caused them already at this very beginning to be shunned by those who most should be loving them. And he comes into this world of powerful forces, Rome, the most powerful civilization known to man at that point. And how does he come also oh, human as a baby, helpless, the creator and sustainer of life, to the bottom rung of society. So what does this mean for us? How does this connect with us? Well, you know, I think in this world, we're, we're often prompted or encouraged to think of this time of year as just a holly jolly Christmas. Isn't it? You know, just shove, shove the pain down, smile and sing a Christmas song. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he made. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. The song bugs me so much. Yeah, perfect baby. 
I was the perfect baby, my mom says. Sure, there's joy, right? We want to encourage joy, but not false happiness that denies the human condition that we all find ourselves in and that Jesus, against our protestations perhaps, joins us in and says, yes, you're human, and I know what that feels like. I am with you. So at the places and the moments, because this time of year can be hardest for many people. This story is hard. This story meets us where it's hardest. It's fine with the happy, jolly, clappy stuff, right? But it most meets us where being a human being, perhaps especially at this time of year, is most raw and painful. This is where Jesus comes to us with the nothings and nobodies the lonely, the afraid, the anxious, the sick, the hurting, the grieving, at the places and moments where we are our most raw and as far as, the, as the, we're experiencing, sorry, the full range of what it means to be human in the most painful ways, she gave birth to a son. And at the places where we grieve over our aging bodies and the loss of the mobility and activity that we once were capable of, we hear she gave birth to a son. And when we realize that a relationship in this messy world has been damaged, perhaps beyond repair, we hear she gave birth to a son. And when our hearts ache over the ones that we have lost to death and that we will celebrate this season painfully, perhaps aware of their absence, we hear she gave birth to a son. Within these short five words is the potential for everything that we hope for. Every part of this Advent story is here to remind us that he is Emmanuel, God with us. You know, what? there's something else I read this past couple of weeks, which I thought was really interesting as well. Um, that we have to really think about. And, and the, the author talked, put it this way. He said, if Superman runs into a burning building and rescues a bunch of people, it's really not particularly heroic or incredible because he's Superman. Does Superman get hurt, hurt by anything? Is he like, I don't follow, I don't know. Fuzz, Superman, what's his like weakness? Oh, it's kryptonite. I thought that was someone else. Okay. Kryptonite. But if, 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 uh, Mere mortal does something like that. We do think of it as being heroic. And I think sometimes we think about God being God. So he goes through this world. We say he's human, but of course he can flick a switch and, and just do anything. It's no sweat to him, no problem. He was tempted, but it was nothing. Didn't really mean anything. It didn't matter. He wasn't really tempted that much. What the gospel tells us is that in every way that we experience being human, he also experienced the full range of anguish and pain and sorrow and guilt and doubt and fear. And he had an enemy always at his ear, whispering. That's another thing in the gospels you hear. That, oh, the enemy is always trying to get him to go a different way. Without the possibility that he could, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And here's the passage. It's in your booklet. I want us to think about this, this advent. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
And there's, we could talk about that a lot. What does that mean? And it really, it means that he has equality, because it's about to say that with God. He is, he is divine. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be held onto for advantage, but emptied himself, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The one who created all things, who has all power, Lord of heaven and earth, emptied himself and for love of us, stepped fully into our experience of being a human being without reserve and served us even to death on a cross. And she gave birth to a son. This is the start of the story. Next few weeks, we're going to explore. Next week is a boy gets lost. Child, boy, after that, is a man is forsaken. Because we can't look at the manger without considering the cross. And then finally, a savior is given in the fourth week of Advent. You are not alone. God is with you. And actually, this story tells us that where it most hurts, it most hurts. That is the place where he is most with you, alongside you. And that is the place where we are most called to be alongside and with one another. This is what it means to be human. It means to be alongside those who are experiencing the depths of what that reality is, the human condition, that we go to them. We go to them because he did and does. We're going to respond with communion today. <clears throat> so this is Advent. And we said Advent is about, is a word meaning uh, the arrival or the, or the coming or the stepping into. And it's Christ. He came as a baby. So this is kind of like, in this middle place. We do this. Remember, we've talked about the now and the not yet. The now is, yes, we have salvation. The door has been opened and nothing can shut it. And we have full access to God as his children. But the not yet says we still experience all of what it means to not fully experience the fullness of all of the kingdom of God, right? That's why it's difficult. And this happens in the middle time. And there's a day coming when we will feast for real when Christ returns, and that's the second advent. He came, and he is coming again. And in uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul writes, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. There's an expectation in this act and a remembering in this act of what he has done and of what we have certainty that he is going to do again. Hebrews nine twenty eight is in your booklet. Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people, he will come again, not to deal with our sins, that's been taken care of, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. And this is our chance to respond to that. He has proven his love to you. He has proven his love to you 
That's what this is about. And we are called to respond with receptivity and surrender, giving our lives back to the one who gave us life in the first place. You know, this is great too, because this, this spiritual and physical is in this place, right? Physical. We've got hands to take this bread. Let's take it. And we have a mouth to eat this. Sorry, it's rude. It's crunching in the microphone. Isn't it wonderful that there's this physical component? We have senses to taste this delicious bread and, and senses to taste just the kind of tartness of this juice. And, and it's just, they did that then too. Jesus joined them in their humanity and they ate bread and they drank wine and they celebrated this together. But there's also the spiritual. There's a mystery in this act, right? It's not just purely physical. We bring ourselves into the room with Jesus and his friends and say, I'm here with you too and I'm not perfect and I know that I, I'm not going to have a perfect track record. So thank you for the invitation. You invite me and you say you've taken care of all of my sin that I can be in relationship with you, God. Jesus, I don't know what the future holds, but I come because you invited me. I come and I take the cup with thanksgiving. We celebrate being human. It's okay to be human. Jesus has redeemed our condition. Jesus has redeemed our condition. We are his. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for each person here. Oh, wow. What a crew. Oh, Lord, you know us. Thank you that you know every single part of us. You know every contour on our fingerprints. And you know the contents of our heart as well. And because she gave birth to a son, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we say thank you. We receive you. Lord, may this Advent season be a time when we turn our hearts with seriousness and receptivity to this great story. Lord, help us to arrange our calendars, not simply according to the ways of this world of commerce and purchase and acquisition, but truly to the things that most matter, that using our bodies our hearts and our minds and our plans, we would seek to know you better, to connect with you, and to love those around us. Thank you that we are human and that that is okay. And thank you, Lord, that there's so much more because you have accomplished it. And we pray these things with great thanksgiving in Jesus' name.